Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, my guest is Jack White, and I'll introduce Jack officially in a minute, but our topic is the new anchoring restrictions in Georgia. Um, If you've been following our podcast, we covered this uh, several months ago when the law first passed. But with uh, January 1st came the implementation order, an administrative order, that was much more restrictive than anyone really anticipated. So Jack's going to help us work through what's happening with that. Before we jump in with Jack, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And I would like to officially now introduce Jack White. Uh, Jack, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, it's good to be here, Kim. I appreciate uh, you putting this together. Yeah, and when this topic came up, um, I asked Jack to join us because he is a former Georgia State legislator. He is a boater. Um, And and Jack, you were actually one of the first people, I think, that reached out to me when this... uh, I'll call it a bad law, <laughs> when this law that voters, it's not very voter friendly, when it first passed and first came to light. Uh, Jack, you were one of the first people who reached out to me, and you have since been one of the founders of Sage Save George's Anchorages, which is a Facebook page. So just kind of tell us a little bit about, you know, your background and experience that made this an important issue for you. Sure, yeah. Well, I've always been interested in voting since I was a kid, Kim, uh, uh, I was raised here in uh, North Georgia and uh, uh, joined the Air Force after college, wound up becoming a, an Air Force pilot. And on my on my first duty assignment, I bought, uh, I bought my first sailboat. Uh, and basically, for the next 20 years, uh, my wife and uh, family and I, we traveled around assignment to assignment and took the boat wherever we went and raised uh, the kids pretty much on it on the weekends, you know, and just really enjoyed uh, boating. And then uh, after retirement, uh, she and I moved back to North Georgia, and I wound up running for office and was fortunate enough to be elected as a state rep for uh, a five-county area up in North Georgia, represented about 100,000 people or so. And then uh, as time went by, I I left politics to fulfill a dream of uh, moving aboard a boat, and uh, we became uh, Florida residents for a time. Uh, We bought a 34-foot catamaran, and Became full-time cruisers, cruised for four years, and uh, did the uh, did the Florida uh, loop. I guess I would call it, as a lot of folks do, on the East Coast, down in the Keys. We went up the west coast of Florida, across the Gulf of Mexico. And though I'm not a, a great looper, she and I got a taste of it by going up the uh, Tennessee Tom Bigby and uh, running all the way up to uh, Chattanooga uh, one year, where we we hung out there to avoid hurricane season, and then uh, returned to uh, the keys uh, later after that, and uh, flew a turboprop down there from uh, Key West down to Cuba for about a year and a half, and we decided to remove, uh, return to Georgia, and uh, we live on the coast now in the Savannah area, and we're hoping to return to cruising later this year, but uh, we need to get House Bill 201 fixed before we do that, I'm thinking. 
Yeah, I would tend to agree with you on that, especially uh, in the since you're a resident of Georgia at this point. And thank you for your service, both through the military and through being elected to the legislature there. And obviously, those experiences make you kind of uniquely qualified for uh, helping challenge this law. Um, so let's give the bottom line. Um, some of our listeners, I'm sure, have heard the episode we did on the law itself, and I do want to go back and kind of uh, talk about how we got to where we are today. But just kind of a headline of where we are today. What was the, the major thing that the administrative order put into effect that kind of caught everyone off guard? Well, it really did catch a lot of us off guard, uh, uh, to be honest with you, Kim. Uh, but uh, uh, the bottom line is uh, it's uh, a two-pronged order. Uh, one, it restricts overnight anchoring within a 1,000 feet. You know, and that's that's close to three football fields, Kim, uh, uh, which is huge. No other state has that. But it restricts anchoring within a 1,000 feet of any structure, you know, such as public or private docks, wharf, bridges, piers, pilings, things of that nature, except in areas near marinas. And the 1,000-foot offset, uh, you know, a lot of us, uh, our opinion is, is that it needlessly eliminates anchorages all over our state here. It's uh, it's going to take numerous boaters, you know, a lot of them transiting Georgia waters as part of that annual migration down the, the ICW that, that benefits all Georgians uh, because millions of dollars get spent with our businesses here, you know. And then uh, additionally, an unintended consequence of it is uh, that it actually gives private landowners jurisdiction over public waters, if you stop and think about it, free of charge because that thousand-foot distance uh, is over uh, public waters. Uh, and so uh, essentially waterfront owners are, are going to now control thousands of acres of public water at no cost. And, uh, you know, to me, that's uh, that's a huge, uh, a huge change. But that's one point uh, that the administrative order brought out. The second one is that uh, Commissioner Mark Williams, who runs our DNR here in Georgia, he and the DNR has created uh, an animal known as marina zones. Uh, and this wasn't even in the original bill, Kim. Uh, these allow boaters basically to anchor as close as 300 feet to marinas uh, or facilities, you know, that provide what they do, fuel, dinghy access, provisions, vessel maintenance, that kind of thing. And that, of course, begs the question, if we can anchor... 300 feet from a marina, where there are numerous coming and goings, why are we prohibited from anchoring 300 feet from any other structure where there may be no or very limited activity? It, it just doesn't make any sense, Kim, and it doesn't pass the sanity test. And But anyway, to answer your question, the bottom line is, uh, the worst of it is we have a 1,000-foot setback from private docks and shellfish beds in the state of Georgia, and... Um, that's the essence of it, and we're not convinced DNR was sincere in finding a reasonable solution uh, with the stakeholder groups to some of the perceived problems with anchoring and discharge. And, and that really is kind of a shame, because DNR did reach out um, to try and collect some feedback that it appears was ignored. So let's kind of go back to the beginning and explain how we got to where we are. So tell me, like I said, you were one of the first to reach out to me when this bill came to light, uh, House Bill 201. Um, uh -huh. How did you first learn about that, and, and when did you first learn about it? Well, well it was last May, um, uh, actually, Kim. I had actually just joined the uh, Seven Seas Cruising Association years ago whenever I 
I mentioned I was cruising with my wife. We had been SSCA members then, and we've been looking at going cruising again. So last uh, uh, spring, I joined the SSCA, and uh, I believe it was a comment in the newsletter and email post. It sent me to an online website called CruisersNet, where folks that were involved in the measure had posted support for it, and uh, others naturally uh, posted some opposition. And Eventually, uh, I did some research on the net and uh, located uh, this lady named Kim Russo, you, who, who was kind enough to send the text of the bill to me. And uh, uh, after studying that, I thought, boy, we have a real problem uh, on our hands. Uh, Governor Kemp had signed it in uh, late May, as I recall. And uh, as you remember, both you and I were, were both shocked at the contents, uh, to say the least. Yeah, and I actually, I remember when I first found out about it, because it was a member who alerted to it, alerted me to its passing, um, and it was uh -huh. after the fact, after it had passed. And my limited experience with these types of issues has primarily been in Florida, where we typically, through one channel or another, are aware that the legislature is considering a bill that affects anchoring prior to the bill actually being brought to a vote and passing. So... We kind of came into this very late in the game. And Jack, as a former legislator, how, you know, I don't think every citizen is ever aware of every bill that their state is considering. Um, but any thoughts on why it is that it, it appears nobody in the boating community, except for perhaps the marina group there in Georgia, had any idea that this bill was being considered? Well, yeah, I do. Uh, it uh, uh, It's not the typical way that uh, laws are considered, uh, to be honest with you, Kim. Uh, the measure, in my opinion, was actually meant uh, to fly under the radar, and it was a complete success uh, because no voter groups were invited to uh, the committee process. And that's really where the meat and potatoes happen is at the committee level, and our voice just wasn't heard at that level. Had they been, Kim... The outcome, I can assure you, would have been vastly uh, different. Um, the, as far as legislators go regarding them, um, whenever I found out about all this, I knew something was awry whenever I went online, and I checked how the voting record went down. And I did this after, you know, you had sent me the bill, and I became familiar with it. And the bill, uh, as you know, passed with an overwhelming majority in both houses of the General Assembly. Um, and... When I checked the voting record, there were both men and women that I knew personally that had voted for it. And these were people who I knew that if they were familiar with the, with the bill's contents, they would have voted in the opposite direction, Kim. And, and that's what made my radar go up. So I made a few phone calls. Uh, I, spoke, I spoke with a couple of senators I know up in uh, North Georgia, some friends of mine, uh, Chuck Payne up in uh, the Dalton, Georgia area, Jeff Mullis up in the Chickamauga area. These guys are a couple of senators I know. And, uh, of course, my own senator, Ben Watson, here in the Savannah area. And, and the response I get, and I'm not kidding, was, you're kidding. These folks had been sold a bill of goods that was uh, far, far from the reality of what they thought it was. They had been told the bill was about clean water and growing the oyster farming trade in Georgia, which was a good laudable thing, don't get me wrong. And I know probably your listeners and you are probably going, you're asking yourselves, but didn't they read the bill before voting? 
And I got to tell you, that's a fair question, Kim, but as a former representative, you have no idea how busy their lives are. I'm not making excuses for them, mind you, but in this case, the process failed. Let me explain. Because it's impossible, literally, to keep up with everything uh, that's going on at the Capitol in any of our states, the caucus develops a system system where if you're an expert in a particular field, uh, you monitor that bill and you brief everyone else on the contents. For instance, if we had a doctor or nurse in the house and we had a medical bill come before us, they were the de facto subject matter expert. And then they would give you, they would study it, learn it, and let you know uh, what the essence of it was. And you can make up your mind on how you would vote. Um, another resource, believe it or not, are the lobbyists themselves who would craft point papers. And that would be in bullet format on the issues. You'd often get them from both sides of a given issue advocating for whatever the change was that they wanted to make. And while that may rub some of your listeners the wrong way, consider this. Lobbyists, like everyone else, have a reputation to maintain. And at the Capitol, if one provided false data or slanted point papers, we knew who they were, and that company would wind up actually losing clients as a result. So they had to they had to shoot straight with us. Um, and just the way that we need your listeners to shoot straight with their communications, advocating our positions as voters. Uh, the problem we had really, Kim, with House Bill 201 is that there were no lobbyists and no subject matter experts other than the DNR who, as I said earlier, wanted to keep things under the radar. You basically had a state entity lobbying the state. Does that make any sense? It does make sense. And, you know, that kind of begs the question of why, <laughs> which perhaps only DNR can really answer for us. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but any thoughts on what DNR's interest in limiting anchoring in this way might be? Um... I, they're getting pressure, uh, is what I think. Uh, is they're getting uh, they're getting pressure, and that's really what uh, has driven uh, the uh, the offsets. Uh, they just have gone. Uh, they've taken a bazooka uh, when all they needed was a slingshot to fix the problem. You know, this this could have been fixed with sensible legislation. Right. But, so. Once the bill did uh, come to light, and the voting community, of course, was outraged, and rightfully so, uh, there was a public meeting that was held. Uh, that was actually probably the first time you and I met face-to-face. -face. Um, what was your take at that meeting after you, you sat in that room, as I did, and listened to all of the comments and provided some comments? What was your, your thought after the meeting? Sure. Well, well when, it first, when everything blew up, I was... I was encouraged that the reaction from the voting group, uh, social media and voting publications, uh, you know, uh, and the organizations, everything lit up like a Christmas tree with surprise and shock, as you know. Um, several Georgia residents, to include myself and some others, banded together, and we put together that Facebook group, uh, Save Georgia's Anchorages, uh, that we've got close to 700 uh, members now, I think, you know, to help get the word out, and then... We had voter groups uh, to include the, the National Marine Manufacturers Association, Boat US, SSCA that I'm now a member of, uh, MTOA, and, and your organization too, uh, America Great Loopers uh, Cruising Association. Uh, they all rallied uh, to the cause, which was good. Um, but as far as my take after the public meeting, you know, once we got everybody together, 
I'll be honest with you, Kim. I was very optimistic and encouraged uh, at that time. Many of many of the groups that uh, I have mentioned uh, in the voting public in general turned out for what turned out to be a standing room only public hearing on the 17th of June down in Brunswick, you know, where we voiced our concerns. Um, we were assured no rules would be implemented until they were vetted with the voting public. Right, and I left there very encouraged as well. Um, because overwhelmingly those who attended were against HB 201 as it was written. Um, and, and really what we were commenting on that point was the uh, the rules that would implement the law that had already passed. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I felt at that time that DNR realized there were some problems with the rules as they had drafted them. And we're going to go back and, and take another try. And it was shortly after that that you and I and several others were invited to the stakeholders meeting by DNR. So share a little bit about that. Well, that was encouraging. Again, you know, uh, we had the the public meeting in June. And then uh, after that initial public meeting in June, there was that July the 31st stakeholders meeting, you know, which uh, which I and you, Representative Stevens, who's a He's a rep uh, who's a, actually a voter, too, here in uh, the coastal Georgia area. He and several representatives uh, to a, you know attended, including you. And as a group, we all uh, collectively recommended uh, 150 foot setbacks from marinas and private structures. We were okay with that. And the subject, as you may recall, of these 1,000 foot setbacks was discussed. And the personnel at DNR were informed at that time that a 1,000 foot setback was just simply too large. It was uh, onerous. Uh, and now we find ourselves today on the 8th of January. It's been implemented, as you know. So, so much for transparency and open dialogue with the voting public. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I left there with that same impression. Uh, very uh, positive that there was uh, a resolution in sight for this that both voters and DNR could live with. Um, and I, I did follow up with, with a phone call on that with DNR. Um, Good. Oh. You know, they confirmed that, and if, if for those who were familiar with the HB 201 as it was written and, and passed, uh, one of the particular points that kind of stuck in their craw of voters was the idea that you needed a permit for overnight anchoring for even one night in Georgia. Um, and DNR backed off of that, and they told me on a phone call, you know, we're not going to implement that yet, but the law does require that we set the anchoring areas. Um, and we talked a little, a, a bit again about setbacks and kind of discussed that the smaller the better from a, the boating community's standpoint, and that all of the groups that had commented had really agreed that 150 feet was an acceptable setback. Um, but again, you know, there was the thought that there would be some back and forth communication before the actual administrative order uh, implementing the rules went into effect. So, you know, I had that one brief conversation between the July 31 stakeholders meeting and the administrative order actually being signed and, and coming out. Did you have any updates during that time period from that July to December time frame? No, not really, Kim. Uh, nothing uh, from DNR or anyone. Uh, not one official word. Uh, um, my understanding, you know, like you mentioned, is that the uh, AGCL reps, uh, along with uh, our guy James Newsom out of Save Georgia Anchorage Organization, did talk with the, the director of the, the Coastal Resources Division, you know, that part of the DNR that's responsible for this at various times trying to get updates, but we didn't really receive any news that, that 
that alarmed us, you know. And then uh, after we submitted our revised version of HB 201, I believe uh, Representative Stevens also met with DNR. But again, nothing uh, to alarm us. In, in, in fact, the, the first word I received of, of, of the overreaching action by DNR was uh, just a little over a, a week and a half ago on the, the last day of the year, December 31st. It was about 9.30 in the morning, Kim. And I got a text from State Representative uh, Ron Stevens that read, the commissioner signed an administrative order yesterday, and you ain't going to like it. And that was an understatement for sure. For sure. And, and you know, one of the um, particularly disappointing parts of that is uh, it came to light just the day before it took effect. So there was absolutely no time period for the public or voting representatives to comment on it whatsoever. Um, mm -hmm. Not that it, it appears it would have made any difference, but there was really no notice given to this thousand foot setback that was coming into it was play. Deja, it was deja vu for sure. Yes. For sure. Yeah. So, you know, obviously a, a, a disappointing result, to say the least, um, for the boating community who, there's lots of people, uh, you included, Jack, who really put their heart and soul into making this, the outcome, right for boaters. And uh, sadly, at this point, it didn't go our way. So, uh, being boaters, we're not too likely to give in right away. Um, we do have some things that we're hoping our listeners will do to help us kind of undo the damage that has been done here. So, um, first of all, what can our listeners do now to help, even though the the administrative order is signed and in effect? Well, I would probably say the main thing they can do is uh, what they did initially, and, and that's to light up the telephone lines and the email inboxes. Um, but it needs to be the two individuals, Kemp. Uh, Kim. First is is uh, Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia. Um, he's a good man. Good man. I I didn't know him well, uh, but the uh, the interactions I did have with him, he he was certainly uh, willing to listen to reason. I think he has been sold a bill of goods. So if your listeners could reach out to Governor uh, uh, Kemp via telephone or email, that would be awesome. And then the other individual, definitely, who needs to hear from the voting public is Mark Williams, who's our commissioner of the DNR, who actually issued the administrative order. Uh, the buck stops with the commissioner, and he's ultimately, in my opinion, uh, who who is responsible for the 1,000-foot setback. Um, I guess, uh, lastly, I'd say if there's any interested uh uh, folks out there, any boaters, uh, would love to have their company on the 31st uh, uh, of the month. Uh, there's a DNR board meeting down at St. Simon's that day. It's on a Friday at 9 a.m., and uh, everyone who signs up uh, should be given three minutes to speak. And as you know, that was a very effective uh, way at our initial public hearing to have our voices uh, heard. Was. You know, one question, Jack, that I left out that, you know, a lot of people are probably questioning and that you probably can't answer for us, but it, this all just begs the question, where did this thousand foot number come from? Well, um, for sure it was DNR. Um, my, my information comes from, from one of our own members uh, that Forum Save Georgia Anchorages, uh, uh, our guy James Newsom is a, a freelance reporter, and he, he recently interviewed the director of uh, the CRD for an article 
for Southwinds Magazine, which is a great magazine. Uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have uh, have read in the past. Uh, but at any rate, uh, that article should be coming out uh, within the next uh, couple of weeks, I would imagine. And in that interview, uh, he was told that the decision was made via a lot of examination from discussion within DNR staff and marina owners in Savannah. Uh, and the DNR was told a, a 250-foot setback was sufficient for marinas and private docks. And I'm talking about from the marina owners now and that they did not support a 1,000-foot setback. And I will tell you this, uh, I'm very uh, appreciative uh, and proud of uh, the Georgia uh, Marine Business Association, uh, GAMBA it's called, and, and the marine owners who took that position. We appreciate the support. I, I believe they felt it was unnecessary and it was going to outrage voters, which I think it has. Uh, and then it was ultimately going to cost them money because voters, voters uh, uh, a lot of them have vowed to skip Georgia, and we don't want to see that. Um, and we, uh, uh, so, so that that's kind of where I'm thinking it's coming from. And, and it is surprising because I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, back at at the time of the public comment period when we all attended the public meeting um, and written comments were submitted, um, Gamba was on board with us at that point. And again, that's the Georgia Marine Businesses Association that um, is a coalition of a lot of marinas and other marine businesses. But they agreed with us, if I'm not mistaken, on the 150-foot setback. So it's really perplexing to me where the 1,000 the feet came from. But... Uh, I want to take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, we'll um, wrap up by talking a little bit about, you know, what we're hoping can happen as we move towards the next legislative session in Georgia. So we'll be back in a moment. Winter Harbor Marina is located on the Oneida River, 1.5 miles west of Oneida Lake in Brewerton, New York, just minutes from Syracuse International Airport. Winter Harbor offers the lowest diesel fuel and gas prices from New York City to Canada. If you find a lower posted documented price, they will match it. Their amenities include complimentary courtesy vehicle, 24-hour pay-at-the-pump fueling, dockside water and cable TV, pristine bathrooms and showers, and emergency haul-out service. For more information, call 315-676-9276 or visit www.winterharborllc.com. Winter Harbor is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Jack White, who is one of the founders of the Facebook group Save Georgia's Anchorages. He is also a former Georgia legislator and a longtime, long-distance boater. So we're thrilled to have him with us. Not so thrilled about the reason, though. We're talking about Georgia's new regulations um, restricting anchoring within 1,000 feet of on-the-water structure. Um, Jack, a lot of us have said kind of along the way as this situation uh, continued to evolve and looked like it wasn't going our way or turned out not to go our way, it's probably going to take some sort of a legislative fix, a change in the law to really make sure that boaters' rights are protected on this. Um, it's early uh, in that process, and sometimes you have to hold your cards a little close on the, the, that type of process, but there is there anything you can share or you feel like you can share at this point of what you know about what might happen in the next legislative session? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. I've uh, had some dialogue uh, with some folks about this, and uh, uh, I think what we're probably looking at, uh, Kim, is a is a two pronged approach. Uh, 
first off, uh, I think with the old House Bill 201, we need to try and work with DNR on that existing legislation and, and try to mitigate in some way the damage, uh, you know, uh, and, and see if we can get this thousand-foot setback uh, rolled back. It's uh, uh, simply too large, as you know. Um, uh, and that's with House Bill uh, 201, uh, changing an existing bill. Uh, uh, it's, uh, housekeeping is what it's called, where, where you take a previous bill from uh, the last session, and then you come in and tweak it in the next session to fix uh, whatever problems may have crept up, you know, unintended consequences, that kind of thing. That actually is a common occurrence. Uh, and uh, we've got nothing to lose regarding trying to fix uh the old bill in that way. However, um, to get to the second prong, which I'm leading up to, I, I really do feel like this is crucial. And uh, uh, I do have my doubts about the original HBL 201, whether it's going to be revised to the extent that the voting public needs for it to be, you know, to, to restore our freedoms. Um, and, and for that reason, we've asked Representative Stevens to file an entirely new bill. Uh, and that's being drawn up right now as I speak. I've been in touch with a representative today, in fact, uh, via text messages to to try to move the bill forward, tweaking some uh, changes to it. And uh, I can tell you that uh, it's going to be some heavy lifting, Kim, uh, as the process is. It's more than the housekeeping uh, issue I mentioned earlier. Um, but I'm confident with the, with the support of the, the voting public applying pressure to the, to the governor's office and, and to Commissioner Mark Williams that we can make some headway. Um, our next step after that uh, will be communicating directly with the, the committee members of both chambers and the legislators themselves to make sure our voice is, uh, is heard this time, and it needs to be heard this time. Yes, and, and Representative Ron Stevens is actually, he has completed the Great Loop. He's an AGLCA lifetime member and a gold looper, so uh, we are pleased that he is in a position to help right this wrong. Um, and we're thrilled, Jack, to have you working on this because you're obviously your experience and your background is uh, proving invaluable in this process. So thanks for all you're doing, um, and thanks for joining My us. My pleasure. For our listeners, um, as we said, the next step and where we really need your help is in letter writing and phone calls to the governor and to the DNR commissioner. Uh, I will post that contact information on our website, so that'll make it easier for all of you to figure out how to do that. Um, but Jack, again, thanks for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you, Kim. Pleasure to be here. Hang tough. We'll be talking to you. Yes, and to our listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Mm-hmm.